Hi, Jens here. Are you interested in innovation? This might be something for you too. Every Friday, I share the latest innovation articles, ideas, videos, books, podcasts, and more that I discovered during the week in my newsletter, Connect the Dots. If you subscribe, you will receive an email into your inbox every Friday. You can't find the newsletter anywhere else, so you have to subscribe if you want to receive it. Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show where I connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship. My name is Jens Heitland and welcome to the show. Hello, Jonas. Welcome to the show. Great to have you here. How are you doing? I'm very well. I think we have a lot of topics. And as I said before, we started recording. We should have a beer like usually when we are on the call, but we're not doing this because it's still morning and it's, it's kind of working time. But before we go into your interesting perspectives on innovation and all of that, let's dive a little bit into who you are and tell us a little bit about your story. I am born and still live in Copenhagen in Denmark. I'm 48 years old, live with my two daughters here in Copenhagen in Østerbro, which I enjoy very much. I've lived a few other places, but I think... At this point in time, being locked down as well, I get to see and enjoy where I am. I feel comfortable here. I've been working within sustainability my entire life in IKEA, where I had the pleasure of also working with you, of course. But took a conscious choice a few years ago of shifting tracks and doing something I had thought I would never do, which was to go and work for a non-governmental organization, an NGO. I've been sort of uh, working with sustainability in, in IKEA, sitting across the tables, many NGOs, and always wanting to work through NGOs with the perspective of creating a better world, a better life for the people who needed the most. And I found that it was difficult, or at least the NGOs was not structured in such a way that they would engage the business side of IKEA, more the philanthropical money side. And that's how I think NGOs has, has been working all along, kind of looking for ways to fund the work that they are doing and then going and do it themselves, which is fine and it's worked and it's created a huge difference for many, many people and have saved millions of lives and, and things like that. But I landed on a perspective that I thought it would be interesting to change things a little bit and bring businesses, companies, entrepreneurs into the, you could say, the machine room of an NGO. So rather than, than you know, asking for money, invite the companies, the private sector partners with the best solutions into the bringing about a, a solution to the things that we as NGOs identify as the biggest issues. That perspective brought me to CARE. CARE in Denmark has a very transformative strategy where I'm really, really trying to transform the way that we're doing things, not to throw away all the things that are working, 
but build on our knowledge of, of what are the biggest issues, what do people really want, and then engage with the people who have the needs into identifying the right solutions for solving their issues. And I think it's the most interesting perspective on on things. Of course, it's challenging and as, as things are when you want to change, but it's also extremely gratifying and extremely interesting. I very much believe in supporting necessary changes and in that we need sort of all the players to get on board in in realizing that the vision for a sustainable future for all of us. And that's also one of the main reasons that you have a specific angle on driving business and working in, a, in an entrepreneurial way and helping entrepreneurs as well getting into projects. So I, I would love to dig into that a, a little bit later. Before we go into these topics, what is innovation for you and how do you see innovation in this world? Innovation for me is a lot of different things. I like, as I do with sustainability, take the, the broadest angle on it and use it kind of as an umbrella frame for everything where we try to tackle issues in a different way. I think that we sometimes, because innovation is kind of a new term for many of us, that we use it to describe gradual change. And I don't think that is the case. For me, innovation is where we look at things from a slightly different perspective and come up with something that can help it go in a sustainable way. That's sort of my perspective on innovation. Change the perspective slightly and look at what is it that we want it to be in the future. And in that process, Working with, with everyone you think is, it can contribute in a, in a good way, but also coming up with something in the process that, that challenges our normal way of thinking. It's the transformative change where we put our perspective on, on a sustainable future. So I would love to dive into one of the examples we have discussed a lot on ecosystem thinking and innovation inside your work and how you do this. So you told me the story about going into Africa and visiting and refugee camps and all of that. Can you give a little bit of background how you built up an innovation ecosystem in that environment? There are many refugee camps around the world. And for most of them, they become small cities. They become societies where people live, hundreds of thousands of people, even millions of people, live and establish themselves in, in refugee settlements. And what is an issue that, that goes again in most refugee camps around the world is that it's a very linear society. Food are brought in, water is brought in. And, and of course, people are kept at a basic level in terms of not uh, starving and, and having enough water and things like that. But there's a lot of negative environmental consequences and also a lot of negative social consequences for the people living in refugee camps around the world. That is sort of a perspective. What we want is to try and change that with a systemic, new, methodic, innovative approach that we call Camp Plus. We want to turn the negative aspects of refugee settlements into something positive, both environmentally, financially. It's very expensive to run a refugee camp. It takes constant funding because it's not self-sustained, but also the environmental aspect of things, of course. No, the social aspect of things. People 
in refugee camps are often not very well off. And it takes toll on, on people living in settlements, in camps, not being able to live your life fully. The average refugee in the African continent lives 17 and a half years in, in a camp. That's the entire childhood. People live there three generations. We try and change that. And we have a concrete project in a refugee camp in Uganda called Shuangali or Kuangali. In the northwestern part of Uganda, right now there is around 100 and I think 30,000 refugees from the Democratic Republic of Congo and from South Sudan living there. It's been there since the 60s, but are growing rapidly right now. Mm. There are around 500 people arriving every day. And it's a very well-structured refugee camp. There are 30 NGOs working with different aspects of this what we envision is that if we take sort of a broader look at it, what do we do to structure it in a way where it becomes a sustainable, a sustainable society that can live off the surrounding resources? How can we utilize those resources in a better way? How can we rethink things? Therefore, we set out together with 11 that was not a, a conscious choice that it was 11, but we went there in January of last year to take a different look at it. It was a, a sort of a fact-finding, but also human-centric design approach to revisiting and taking a perspective on things. Yeah. What could we do if we rethink this? What would be ideal? What synergy effects are there between the different of course, needs people have, but also the way things are structured today. How can we, with all the solutions that we can reach out for that is there in the world, how can we solve things in a different way? And in that process, very much involving the refugees themselves in the design and innovation processes. So we had many, many, many meetings where we gathered groups, not what do you need, what would you like us to give you, but what do you dream about? What mm. What would you like your life to be and what's preventing you from having that life? I'm sure we're not the first one, but it was just a different perspective on things. And that brought about, including the vision of, of looking at, with our knowledge and the private sector partners, their view on available solutions, brought about sort of a, a vision of something that is a sustainable society. There mm. are many unused potentials unlocked resources in in a refugee camp even though people really want to create a life for themselves yeah. but it really changed my perspective on on things i had envisioned this was my first visit to a refugee camp i had envisioned sort of people being passive and sitting around not because they want to because but because they were forced to a little bit but it was very very different it's a vibrant small society where you see great ideas popping up, see small businesses being created everywhere mm. out of mm. what we would perceive as nothing. Three screwdrivers and a small soldering stick powered by a small solar panel becomes a mobile repair workshop. Things like that, just it's everywhere. So there's so much 
willingness and, and eagerness to create a better life for yourself in, in a situation like that, which I thought was extremely inspiring. Extremely inspiring for also the private sector partners that we brought with us. And it sort of, it changed their perspective as well as to what it is that, that these people need. Mm. They don't necessarily need new things. They need help to kind of raise the level a little bit. The general feedback that we got the general insights that we got into what people really want out of this whole thing, what it is that they need right now, is just a little bit more ability to create a life for themselves, for them and their children. And that means they would like our help to make it possible for them to create jobs. Yeah. It sort of brought me to the conclusion that, of course, we can solve this. If we can solve things in a situation where people have nothing, mm. then we can solve everything. So it, it sort of also brought about a, a more holistic approach to, I think, sustainability in general. Mm. There are many, many issues that we need to solve, many challenges, but we can do it. So if we take this approach and this way of thinking, and we have discussed it a lot, there might be people out there who are saying, yeah, but then close the refugee camps, if they're living there so long, then it's not a good way in keeping, so make them shittier so that people are not willing to stay there that long. What is your perspective on that? They come there because they need to. Mm. They have nowhere to go. If you shut down the refugee camps because you don't want people to live there on a long term, they will go somewhere else and establish a camp that then becomes a refugee camp or establish somewhere. Okay. These people have nowhere to go. They are refugees. They are the people that are worst off in the, in the whole world. Even in a country like Uganda that treats refugees extremely well compared to even the Western countries, they are quite welcoming. Refugees in Uganda are permitted to do a lot of things that they're not permitted to do in many other places. There's mm. no lock on the fence in the refugee settlement. People can go in and out and can interact with the local society. Hmm. There are a lot of business, small business relations to the local society and things like that. It's different uh, in Uganda, but we need to have the perspective that these people are there because it's the kind of last resort for them. Hmm. Then the opposite is like, why not building it from a day one in a way that it is established as a more city-like perspective, that it is welcoming communities? That's a very, very interesting perspective and and one that we thought many governments around the world will not say yes to that but if we can kind of impose at least a different more sustainable perspective from the get-go it will take less land it will take less mm. toll on the, the natural resources around it it will mean less stress on on local society and things like that so that is definitely an approach i don't think we will and an approach that we it's, it's part of this project. We did kind of a drone mapping of this area to also identify where there are unused potential for, for different structures inside the settlement so that we could fit more people into the same area so they don't have to cut down more forests. It's also a perspective of infrastructure-wise, utility-wise. If this becomes a more or less permanent refugee settlement, what kind of utilities are needed and how can that be structured in a better way. I don't think we'll get governments around the world to accept 
the fact that they are now building small cities. It needs to be something that can gradually become still a refugee camp, but more or less structured as a city. But it's more an approach from our perspective and the different organizations that are part of, of organizing a refugee camp that we need to do things the right way from the get-go and more forward-thinking way. It'll take up less space. It'll be cheaper. It'll be uh, more efficient. The positive aspects of doing things differently and more forward-thinking. We work both in, in refugee camps, but also in development projects around the world with rural communities that are not refugees, but are struggling with the consequences of, of uh, climate change, for instance. Mm agricultural societies around the world that are rapidly seeing their lives changing. They can no longer grow the crops that they used to. They can no longer sustain a life at their family farm. And and we work a lot around the world with local societies, local organizations. There are many, many analogies and many solutions that works well in a refugee settlement that also works well in a sort of a more rural setting. So it's just interesting from a change perspective in, in general. It affects millions and millions of people around the world. The changes that we now see due to climate change, it's what brings most people to flee or, or move away from what they used to do. And we need solutions and are working with solutions that tackles that. Sustainability aspect of things are evident more now than ever that it's, it needs to be a sustainable solution, whatever we're talking about. Yeah. If we still take the angle of innovation on this, and let's say, I mean, you're living in Denmark, you're based in Copenhagen. So what could companies and business people and entrepreneurs do to support this way of thinking to and or learn as well from that way of thinking? That's sort of what still excites me very, very much. We thought it from the get-go, but also concluded after our initial visit to Uganda, and then consequently later visits as well, is that we want to bridge the gap between the biggest issues and the best solutions. And mm -hmm. the best solutions are often out there already. They are not accessible for the people living in a refugee camp. And they are often not accessible or not being brought into play via NGOs because we don't realize it. So what we need to do first and foremost is to bring in on a sort of grand challenge structured approach, put the challenge out there, and then private sectors in both what we call Global North and Global South. So also private companies in Uganda, private small entrepreneurs in in the African continent, of which there are many that can help do this, need to get involved or not need, but can benefit from getting involved in solving this. What we see in, in this specific refugee settlement in Uganda is that a lot of the companies that are now on board are using that as a tool to create sort of new innovative approaches and solutions in their own business. There are concrete examples. We have a consortium that deals with plastic waste recycling and production of plastic products within the settlement, those solutions are now being utilized, also being thought to be utilized in a sort of decentralized plastic sorting solution that will be applied in Europe. 
maybe not right now, but over time. And there's a lot of analogies. It's a different society, but it's it's not that different. And the challenges are more or less the same. Yeah. So there's a lot of development, innovative solutions that can be brought about and even tested and turned into successful businesses that can then be applied. But there's also a, a lot to learn about building solutions that are market-oriented from this uh, outset and mm. market-oriented in a market which is almost non-existing, where people's purchasing power is close to none. How can we structure things in a situation, in a refugee settlement, where people almost have nothing and still make it a successful business with an actual return on investment and, and things like that? That is a very, very interesting perspective and something that we learn a lot from, but also that the participating companies learn a lot from. It's actually possible, even in a situation like that, to construct something that can sustain itself and become a, a proper business. That's a very, very interesting approach and something that we all learn a lot from. When we talk about private sector partners, we often talk about sort of Western society companies or, or yeah, yeah. companies that are already established or are emerging in the, in a, a more Western or a developed part of the world. But we see huge market potential in our sector of sort of we need the solution. So there's a lot to gain from getting on board in that further development of, of the businesses by working together with organizations like us. On the other hand, we we are also, and this is part of my role within care, to take the business approach to our work. Mm-hmm. Rather than, you know, put our hands out and, and ask for help, we would like to invite private sector partners on board and help us develop things, develop solutions, not just technical, but also different approaches to solving the big issues that we are set in place to solve. But in that process, also develop new businesses, develop new business models for the participating companies. We should not be afraid to say that that it's okay to make money in this process for private companies. I don't see them as donors. I see them as participators. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of business to be made. And this is not taking money from the poor people. It's around creating solutions that benefit the people that we work for by creating a better life for them. And in that process, it's okay that they get a better life. They start earning money. They grow their life and the participating companies create an earning from that. That's okay. That is how we construct sustainable businesses. Otherwise, it becomes donor dependent over time. And that is a non-sustainable business. Since you started that job and we're discussing it since then, I think that's what I really like about this way of thinking because it's a mindset. It's a shift of mindset, which is not, hey, we're there to help you and give you. We're there for empowering you to to do it on your own. And if you switch that mindset, that will help everyone in the whole ecosystem of thinking differently and then approaching it from a different perspective. If we just take an example is, a lot of companies are establishing, let's say, innovation labs and different groups of how they can innovate around different topics. Mm. And they do this in fancy places. They do yeah. this in Silicon Valley. They do this in Shanghai. They do this in Berlin. 
what if they take a different approach and, and saying, hey, we're a technology company, we're developing something that's so far out right now, let's test it in a completely different environment because we're completely constrained in the way of how we can approach mm -hmm. it, which yeah. will then enable innovation and enable innovative thinking in a completely different mindset, but it will help the world to be a better place. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's a very, very interesting perspective. And we should also, in, the, in that process, realize that what we call the developing world are super tech savvy and, yeah. and come up with even mobile money, which we based all of our mobile payment technology on, actually rose from Kenya, they were one of the countries that first took that on. There are so many small tech startups around the African continent, so many small entrepreneurs inventing something in a different setting. Of course, I would assume, as you say, the perspective of testing things in a new setting, which is sometimes challenging, but can also bring about totally new perspective on things. And I think we need that often. The, the innovative ecosystem, I'm not saying that it becomes an echo chamber, but sometimes we kind of repeat the conversations. And by opening up to people in a totally different setting, you also get a new perspective on things. It's extremely interesting. It sort of helps everyone change the perspective on the world, a world where the gap between poor and rich is increasing is an unsustainable world. And we need to close that gap. That's true as well. I mean, we're both living in the Western world, but even there is the, the gap is getting bigger, which means we need to build systematic change, which, which is, and that's why I'm all about the language of business will change the world because yes. we are able to empower businesses to do good things in the world. And yep. you, you can do that still in the same country. It's better than doing nothing. But that requires a long-term way of thinking. It's not, it's not a quick win from a, hey, I'm printing money after this. That's a long-term perspective. Of how can I change the world? How can I empower people? And in return, you will get value for it. And it might not be monetary value straight away. It can be, but we should not exclude so kind of the long-term positive effects on, yeah. on exactly trying to re-innovate not just the way that we as an NGO work, but, but also the uh, transformative change to your own business is very powerful in this, I think. And we see just great examples of, I like the, the perspective of the kind of business language as well. Yeah, we see great potential in getting businesses on board in, in not aiding us in our work, but in constructing something together with us and together with the people that, that are the, sort of the potential market because that's when we see the powerful, good, long-term changes to things. There's also the, the whole thing about the discourse, the change in discourse, I think, where the sustainability conversation has changed over the last two, three years, and it's really rapidly changing. But still, sort of if we look 10, 15 years back, the necessity of the sustainable change has just grown in perspective. But I think many also Western-based companies have not really yet taken on the necessity to the extent that they have to in how a transformative change will, will need to occur. Because we live in the Western world, 
it's not the people in the refugee camp who <laughs> who has the big climate impact, right? It's it's us. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's affecting their lives the most at present. We have this term that we call climate injustice in the Western world. It's our habits. It's our consumption that leads to the, the human-based climate change. But if it affects the poor people living in countries where the weather is now rapidly changing. But the companies that are now involved in, in changing their own business model will need to, to kind of speed up and, and take part in that transformative change even faster. And it's also about changing your perspective on what the world is. We can't be very rich and then seeing them being really poor and thinking, that's fine, we'll throw them some money once in a while and have a big TV event and and then that's fine. That deals with our back conscious and then we'll move on. We need to see ourselves as one world. I love that discussion. So if you could work with a specific project which is creating a huge change in the world. What kind of project would that be? There are many, of course, and there are many things that we could do, but I am totally in love with one specific project right now. It holds all the different components that I have tried to cover in this conversation, and it's it's the plastic recycling unit that we came up with when we were in the Ugandan refugee camp. It arises from the perspective on the people, the refugees, their wish of creating a better life for themselves and, and something that enables them to earn a bit of money so they can create a better life for themselves and their children. The basic need that we saw, that we heard from them was jobs, hmm. ways of earning money. At the same time, there was plastic pollution everywhere, as we see in many, many places, small pieces of plastic, their crops polluting the waterways, but just being a general nuisance and no recycling system. Hmm. It's, of course, plastic recycling in Uganda, but not effectively. And I know from working with sustainability within IKEA, of course, and, and just in general, that plastic recycling is, of course, possible. Hmm. So we came up with constructing this small production unit that enables it's dimensioned so that it can take on all plastic waste within the refugee settlement and possibly also the surrounding area. Take that in, sort it, clean it, process it, and then produce products that can be sold within the refugee settlement. The technology is, is not so much new. It's, it's based on 100% renewable energy, solar cells, and, and things like that. So it's just this decoupled small unit. The technology itself is maybe not innovative, but the way it's brought in and the way it's being realized is a new mm. way. We have a small consortium working on it. We have a local company in Uganda also involved, and then, of course, our office in Uganda. But the whole identifying market potentials process has been new in a care setting, identifying price points for existing products being sold within the refugee settlement, identifying the market potential. Mm. That is new, and that is an innovative approach when we talk about development aid, that we go about it in a way where we try to identify the market potential for this. And only when we realize the market potential can we do the calculations. I'm not sure. I'm the, the market potential, the collection of plastics, and in between, 
there's a production unit and a uh, processing unit. By kind of calculating backwards, saying we want to market products locally produced, made out of recycled plastics, and the products will be priced lower than what is currently being sold within mm. the settlement. That whole business setup is extremely interesting and holds so much potential for changing the life for many people. So it's it's being constructed right now. It will be up and running early February. It will produce roof tiles out of LDP plastic. It will produce dishwashing bowls out of PE plastics and, and different other things. It will be marketed at prices 10% lower than what is currently being sold on the market, plastic products produced in China. So yeah. there's an environmental impact reduction there. But the, we also create 40 jobs directly in this production unit, and then the whole collection and retail part is not even calculated into that. So that small business setup there holds huge potential. And my vision is that what we're working with now, when it's up and running, it'll sort and and process around one ton of plastic per week. That's the entirety of plastic waste being available within yeah. the settlement. It will produce products also for sale, possibly outside the refugee settlement. And then this unit, it's a small business in itself. Mm. It has a return on investment of less than 10 years because there's a margin calculated into all processes. So it's actually a proper investment. We have taken on the initial investment, of course. There's an OPEX that is calculated into all sales prices. And what I want to do is copy this unit globally. Right yeah. now, we are focusing on this unit. In a few months' time, I'll come up with a suggestion of the whole Eastern Africa plastic issue within refugee settlements and then possibly also you know, urban outskirts where the plastic pollution is also a big challenge and mm. where local production and manufacturing could mean that we could move the value creation of plastic recycling downwards towards the people who need it the most. It's an example of the approach that we take to creating something that could be sustainable businesses within itself, but also is based on identifying the biggest issues for people yeah. The biggest dreams and visions and then tackling it in a way where it becomes a self-sustained solution that we can then draw ourselves away from. Really lovely project. And I, I'm really looking into following it and supporting as much as I can as well. So where will you be in a year from now? Within a year, we will have five plastic sorting units up and running or in the late stages of establishment in three refugee settlements based on a kind of revolving fund structure that we have established. And we'll have companies involved who can then draw on the technology, taking it backwards. But I also, in this whole uh, COVID-19 lockdown, we've also realized that, that maybe we need to look at how we engage hmm. In developing countries, we can do a lot. We have local offices everywhere. So mm. online meetings is a lot more useful now. We've learned a lot from it. But we will have conducted a few more innovative design sprints in this refugee uh, settlement that we're working in. And we will have come up with the 2.0 version with even more different tracks to investigate and to develop. And a few steps closer to creating 
what we can then call a sustainable refugee camp. Yeah, awesome. So where can people find you? How can people reach out to you and learn more about what you're after? They can always write emails to me as much as they want. I hope you will share my, my email details. Uh, I'm also reachable on phone and via CARES website, uh, CARE Denmark's website. LinkedIn, yes, of course, that as well. WhatsApp, but I read emails <laughs> a lot. Yeah, true. that's the easiest way to reach you. I will put the links in the show notes as well so that people can find you and reach out to you. Awesome. And thank you for taking your time to talk to me again. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And I am following you very, very closely and <laughs> I love your vision. I think it fits very well with what we try as care, but what I personally also would like to see the empowerment of people to actually go and innovate companies, private sector, but also just people. It's it's just worth reminding everyone that, that we can change things for the better if we do yeah. it. Now let's let's figure out how we can do that and meet off record with with a beer again and discuss it in detail. <laughs> we will. Okay. Yes. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you very much for joining the show, Jonas. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Jens. Hey, this is Jens again. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you have listened to, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episodes with your friends and people you think might like it too. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, please follow me on social media or look me up at jensheitland.com. Thank you very much and see you in the next episode.